Hello and welcome to the Free Movement Podcast. I'm CJ McKinney. We're talking business immigration in this episode, and in particular, the representative of an overseas business visa, which is, I think it's fair to say, one of the lesser known types of UK work visa, but does seem to have been gaining in popularity recently and is certainly coming under more scrutiny at the Home Office. And they have done some tinkering with the rules on this visa lately. And to discuss how the representative of an overseas business visa works and these recent changes to it, I'm joined by Joanna Hunt, a managing associate at the solicitor's firm, Lewis Silken. Hi, Joe. Hi, thanks for having me. Not at all. Uh, just to start us off, can you just sum up what this visa is for in a nutshell? Yeah, so, well, first and foremost, it's a work-based visa. Um, but interestingly, it's not part of the points-based system, which is the usual place you tend to look for the work-based categories within the immigration rules. Um, it sits apart from the points-based system, mainly because it's not a sponsorship visa. So the company concerned who want to employ this, the individual, um, they don't have to have a sponsor license, which the majority for the visas under the tier two system within the points based system they have to so the representative of a overseas business visa is pretty much as the name suggests it's for um, a company or a business of some kind who's based primarily overseas who need to transfer an individual an employee into the uk um, to further their business interests in in the uk um, it's a visa it's granted for three years um, it's extendable by a further two years once they're in the UK and then they can apply for indefinite leave to remain after five years. Okay so it's a relatively niche use case maybe you you have to be tied to this parent company overseas and does this parent company kind of be in any industry or are there limits on what type of business you can send someone in to further in the UK? Well, the rules on the representative and overseas business visa actually encompass two types of applications. So it's, it's more an umbrella for two types of um, uh, applications, which can be done by um, two different types of applicants with two kind of very different careers. So the first one, um, it can be used by employers of overseas media companies such as broadcasters, newspapers, who are sending employees into the UK, for instance, journalists, um, who are coming into the UK on a long-term posting. So it can be used that kind of that, that genre of, of individuals. But the biggest use of the, this immigration rule is for what's known as sole representatives. And this is why it's often known as a sole rep visa. Um, and that's for senior employees or executives of overseas companies who have looked or who are wanting to set up um, a, a branch or a subsidiary in the UK that can be from any industry. And so this, this individual, the representative, um, they're the person tasked with that goal. So they they need a visa in order to come into the UK to set up, to, to take, to, to do whatever actions it takes to get this entity or subsidiary set up. Okay. So we'll focus then on that main subcategory and we'll call it the sole rep visa and not have to try to pronounce the representative of never seen business visa. It's a mouthful, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So we're, we're flying now. Um, so, so focusing on that, uh, how does someone qualify? Like, what are the main rules around it? Well, the main rules. So, I think it's it's easiest to think of it in two parts because there's there's the the requirements that um, the sole rep 
that the individual has to meet and there's a set of requirements that the company themselves have to meet. So if we'll talk about what the individual, this sole rep, um, what who they have to be. So it can't be just anybody. It can't be any old employee of this overseas company. Um, it has to be a senior executive or a senior employee who should have been employed or recruited overseas. So they can't have been recruited in the UK. But the, the big thing is that they should be able to show um, or as part of the application, you'll need to be able to show that or demonstrate that this person has this authority to be able to take these essential decisions that are necessary to set up this trading entity, the branch or subsidiary that they're looking to set up in the UK. Um, so they need to have that power in order to fulfill that goal. Can the company just sort of certify, tell the home office that the person has that authority and that's enough? Or does the person have to be at a certain level in the organization? Like, how, how do you kind of get that across that they're senior enough? Uh, I mean, I think that's the tricky one because it's about you, it, the, the evidence that you need to submit as this application is quite extensive. They'll want to see, for instance, um, somebody's contract of employment. They'll want to see a job description. So the, they'll want to see, want to find out about what this person does. They'll want to probably, it's also a good idea to put in a, um, an org chart, a hierarchy chart to show where his role sits on the kind of the levels of authority or the, the hierarchy of the organisation. Um, and the company themselves have to provide some kind of confirmation that the person has this authority um, it's about building a case rather as you would with with different with a kind of family application where you you, you look to kind of build the evidence to show that a relationship is genuine and um, you have to build the evidence to demonstrate what it is that this person does or is able to do and also putting in stuff about their background so their cv so they can see that this person has potentially the skills or the history or the track record of having set up these entities. And, and that's definitely, if they've been recruited specifically for this goal, so specifically to set up this entity in the UK, they'll want to see that this person has some kind of backstory that they, they or, or some, you know, a career history where they've done this in the past. Okay. And you mentioned that one piece of evidence might be their employment contract. Does the person have to be an employee every time or could they be a part owner of the business, a director? How, how does that work? They have to be an employee. The rules are very clear on that. Um, I mean, when you get to this kind of senior level of the, the type of individuals that they're envisaging who are going to use this visa, they often will potentially have a shareholding in the business. They'll have a stake in the business, but it is very, the rules are very clear that that, that interest, that, that, that interest that they have can't be a controlling interest. So they can't have more than 50% of the shares in this overseas business or 50% of the voting rights. And the guidance even says that if that person has a significant shareholding, so it's not 50%, but potentially, you know, up to 50%, that can be a point that can trigger the Home Office to do a further investigation to make sure that that person really isn't the business owner. Because that is some of the changes that have been brought in over uh, um, within the last few months with the last statement of changes. They've brought in this uh, a genuine te genuineness test. So an applicant needs to genuinely show that they meet these requirements. So the Home Office will, uh, can and will request um, further information about um, an application or an applicant if they have quite a, a large shareholding or indeed even ask them for an interview. Are they looking to find people who are essentially just solo entrepreneurs that have set up a company to use this as a vehicle to, to get get the visa, essentially? Yeah, well, I, this this seems to be the sense is that What's happened with the, the sole rep visa is what happened to the tier one entrepreneur visa many years ago. So when tier one general 
visa shut that the the applicants who would have maybe resorted to that route started applying into the tier one general uh, tier one entrepreneur route which led to them bolstering the immigration rules and bolstering the rules of the tier one entrepreneur route to bring in this genuineness test because there's this fear that there is applicants who wouldn't ordinarily fit that category are trying to shoehorn themselves into it when ordinarily they should be using another category such as well now it would be a startup or an innovative visa if you're looking exclusively to set up your own business in the UK those are the routes that are designed for that this route is all about a company who's based outside of the UK who's who's um, transferring the individual into it but is going to keep their main centre of business outside of the UK and this individual is senior but not so senior they're effectively the head of it they're trying to rein in some control over this visa route for sure there's the usual there is an English language requirement um, there's also a maintenance requirement so in terms of the English language they'll need to show that they've got a, a degree taught in English or from national of a majority English speaking country or having sat an English language test and need to submit um, some payslips bank statements to show that they can maintain and accommodate themselves in dependence without recourse to public funds. Um, the other thing to bear in mind as well is that they need to work full time for this company. They, because of this fact that they're limiting the type of person that this applies to, they don't, they can't work for other companies. They can't work to further other business aims, um, for instance. You've said you want to cover the rules on this visa in two parts. So we've talked a little bit about the individual applicants and what the rules they need to meet. What about the parent company then? Are there boxes that the company needs to tick in order to qualify for the route? Yes, yes. So the, the, the company themselves, the parent company will be subject to a close examination by a home office caseworker rather as much as the individual will. Um, so they'll want to make sure that that company is bona fide, first of all. They'll need to show that they're actively trading so that they're in business and that they want, although they're, they're intending to set up this UK entity, this branch, the subsidiary, they need to show that they intend to keep their main headquarters and the centre of their operations outside of the UK. So there's not an intention to fully transfer into the UK. They mustn't have a presence already in the UK. They might have set up legally in the UK, but they can't be actively trading um, in order for this visa to be successful because the premise is, is that the individual, the rep is needed to set up this entity and to get it going. And it's also got to be in the same um, business. So so the entity they're planning to set up, it's got to be trading in a similar business to, to that which the, the parent company does. Um, so, and, and it's a kind of general test. They They want to be sure that, the parent company isn't just using this visa or, or, the, or the, these, this business plan that they've come up with to expand into the UK as, as just a, a front for trying to get the individual a visa. So again, that kind of genuineness test will come into it where they'll be looking to examine the evidence to see whether there is a genuine intention to meet all those requirements. And in terms of evidencing all this, the usual reams and reams of documentary evidence, presumably the Home Office is, is after? Yeah, so alongside all the evidence that you have to gather for the individual, there's uh, a lot of paperwork that you'll need to show to show that this company can meet those requirements. So that includes so a full description of the, the company's activities, um, including the details of the company's assets and details of shareholders, because they're going to want to check, double check that your sole rep isn't a majority shareholder. Um, a letter confirming that the overseas company is intending to establish this wholly owned subsidiary or branch in the UK and that they, that it will be in line with the activities or the, the aims or the, of this business as they are outside of the UK. 
And then also something in writing from the company confirming that this person has um, the relevant skills and experience and knowledge for this sole rep role and how they meet this requirement. And, and they want that statement notarized as well. So it, it's for, for in comparison to other work based visas, it is very involved when you think about the amount of evidence that you're going to have to get together. That's a pretty big binder it will fill. Okay, that's really useful, but I suppose quite abstract, right? We're talking about the rules in general and how that's uh, what the immigration rules and the guidance say. Can you give an example of a concrete situation, maybe someone you've got a visa for or a typical scenario where someone might use this route? Um, I mean, they've, the applications I've worked on have all been applications made by companies, obviously. Um, but in terms of what they've done, they've, they've been, come from a variety of sectors, um, pharmaceuticals, um, finance. Um, I think well, he did, worked on one with a gaming company. Um, but the last one I worked on was a finance uh, company who had been trading online in the UK, but hadn't got... Uh, a UK entity set up and due to restrictions under the Financial Conduct Authority, they needed to have an entity set up. So they were sending over one of their senior execs, I think it was director level into the UK. And it was a fairly, it was a fairly strong application. The applicant themselves had a, re- a really good career history of having worked in other businesses where they'd set up other businesses. So it was a bit of a slam dunk that one to do um but yeah i mean the, the the sectors have varied in terms of the ones that i've worked on in terms of the job titles as well i think it's very important not to get hung up on the actual job title um there's such you know a variety of job titles out there i mean you're looking in terms of the individual who's coming in to be potentially at director level or above but it's all about showing that they've got this authority that's the most important thing i mean that's what the rules requests so if you can demonstrate that they have this authority from those most senior more senior to them to make these decisions um that then that puts you in a strong position yeah and in terms of the actual activities that the SORAP might be carrying out i appreciate we're moving away from the law here but i'm i'm just trying to get a picture on my own head of you know that that uh, director level uh, client that came in would he just be sort of setting up uh, a legal entity and sitting in an office and you know essentially on his own or would he be you know down in canary wharf leasing a building hiring 50 people you know what kind of, when you say sort of set up a uk subsidiary <laughs> no i know it's it's, it's abstract typical, i mean if any. <laughs> yeah i know i mean as an immigration lawyer when you get into terms of the words such as setting up subsidiaries i start to glaze over myself um but yeah it's in terms of i mean i i'm not familiar with the ins and outs of the corporate um legal position on it but what you tend to see i see i suppose the journey of this visa is as visas often have this kind of overall journey you will have this a company will approach you who want to send somebody into the uk this person comes in you get them in they manage to set up um, a physical office in the uk the the, the office um, starts trading in some way you then often get them come back to you because you can only ever have one sole representative um, so then they often come back to you because they need to then employ more individuals in the uk and you can't use a sole rep visa again so what you would look to do is get the tier two license for them so the the company the entity that's in the uk then can get its tier two sponsor license and then can start to employ other individuals from um, the parent company can come in either on intra-company transfer visas or tier two general visas um, and that kind of is the circle of life 
that I've tended to see with these types of visa is kind of the first step on a kind of long journey or a longer relationship that you may have with that company. In terms of the changes that were made to this route in May 2020, I believe it was, certainly in the last couple of months, the genuineness test was one that you mentioned that uh, was brought in. Was that the main thing that tightened it up or was there anything else major to kind of be aware of around that? Um, I mean, they they pretty much bolstered the rules in terms of trying to... um, increase the powers of refusal the the the, or the ability to to refuse and the genuineness test kind of hooks around the rules that were there already but it allows the 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 home office caseworker to pretty much uh, when when they're able to assess whether somebody genuinely meets the requirements it, it increases their ability to refuse the application so it meant that the 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 kind of the circumstances and the instances of when they may ask for further information or indeed may lead to refusal have have become more extensive yeah it it sounds like there are quite a lot of ways to get refused then i mean they've given themselves this extra backup power to refuse is it a tricky sort of a visa would you be nervous about putting in an application i mean obviously not when you're a fine lawyer working for a fine firm like yourself but you know i suppose compared to other routes or i it's a visa it's a visa that would now worry me more than it would in the past i just for the fact that they've brought in this genuine genuineness requirement shows that they're now on the lookout that they believe that there are bogus applicants using this route. So they're going to be scrutinizing these visas in a lot more depth to say, in, in comparison to, to say a tier two application, which it still remains a very tick box. So you meet these requirements, you get the visa. Whereas this has the element of doubt involved where you have to prove your case. You've got to establish a set of circumstances. And the, the bigger concern, and this is what happened with tier one entrepreneur when they brought in a, a, a genuineness test for that is that you have then the, the, the home office becomes starts to play dragon's den they're they're there as the arbiter of all these business ideas um you know when it's a set of civil servants who are used used to processing visas so there's that concern that they're not the best fit or have the best skills to fully assess whether a business idea in this case to transfer somebody into the uk to set up an entity whether they're best placed to, to assess it and that could therefore lead to refusals um, where ordinarily they, you, you would have been successful. So it's it's not a, a, a visa, I would say, that's impossible, but it's definitely one that's got tougher and one I would be more, um, yeah, I would definitely brief a client from the outset of the risk of refusal in comparison to, say, an application under Tier 2. Okay, and you mentioned the Home Office playing Dragon's Den and being the arbiter of the business ideas of the parent company. But but what's the alternative? They're the ones making the decisions. How else would you gauge whether a business idea is viable? Yeah, well, I think what they did with the when they closed tier one and and opened up, replaced it with a startup and innovator route was was rather sensible. Even though there has obviously been a bit of a, a, a an unsteady start to those visa routes because applicants have still been struggling to to get visas via those routes the the, the bit that the home office could be commended for is that they um outsourced that element of the assessment of the business plan to um endorsing bodies to third parties who are independent from the home office um who are able to fully who according to their own skills in business technology Uh, those kind of incubator um, organizations they're able to fully assess whether a business 
idea has, is viable. And I think that's that's to be commended. And then the, the Home Office comes in and they just pretty much process the visa. Whereas here you still have the Home Office doing it all in-house. And whether that is where the, this, the overseas, the representative of the overseas visa, uh, business visa will go, whether that's the journey it will go on in, in a few years, if people, if we start to see an increase in refusals, um, this could be how the, the visa is adapted in the future. Okay, that's a sensible policy proposal that uh, we, we hope will be taken up. <laughs> I'll, I'll take uh, that as pretty Patel. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, when you when you next year. Just before we round up, this has been really useful. I want to get you to peer into your crystal ball, I suppose, more generally, because one development, I suppose, with... Uh, the sole rep route just in the last week or so was that the government produced its 130 page policy document on its plans for economic migration published on the 13th of July and almost every visa route was given a mention in that except for two one was investor and one was sole rep and there's been a little bit of speculation that omitting it from this kind of blueprint for the immigration system is maybe a signal that it, it's not long for this world, that it, that it may be abolished. And I, and I did call the Home Office press office and they sort of played down the omission, but they didn't explicitly endorse the ruse and say that, no, you're just being paranoid. It's Of course, it's you know going to be around. So I wonder, do you have any thoughts on whether it would be at all likely that it's going to be scrapped or is, is this just complete idle speculation on our part? Um I mean, that was a bit odd. I agree. It was odd that they'd left it out of that document, but that the, the policy document was odd in many, many ways. Um, I honestly don't know. <laughs> it would be the honest answer. I think everything is pretty much up to, up for grabs at the minute. Um, the government have showed that they're willing to introduce new visas at the drop of a hat to, to withdraw previous visa routes and rebrand them. Um, so it's very difficult to fully predict which way they're going to go on this. Um, I think the fact that the, the, the representative of the overseas business visa and the sole rep visa in particular, um, does ally very well with current government thinking on trying to encourage inward investment to the UK. Um, it would be very odd for them to wholesale get rid of it at this stage because it, it, it's, it's completely at odds with what they're attempting to do or what they're kind of advertising their aims are. Um, I think more than likely it may get a, a makeover at some point. Um, it's, it, it's the way that it's been adapted with the recent statement of changes is likely to lead to more refusals and potentially become unworkable. So it may be adapted, but I don't see it being got rid of at this stage. I, I wouldn't want to crystal ball gaze too much because, yeah, things crazy things happen in immigration all the time. I, th- I think that's definitely true. Uh, we'll leave it there, Joe. Thank you very, very much for coming on. That was Joanna Hunt, Managing Associate in the Immigration Team at Lewis Silken. This has been a podcast from Free Movement, a website publishing updates, commentary, training and advice on immigration and asylum law. Visit us at www.freemovement.org.uk where you can read Joe writing about soul rep visas and all manner of other immigration law analysis. Thanks very much and we'll see you next time.